Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty familiar words. They're pretty clear. They're not difficult to understand, but they are difficult to undertake. That's the challenge. The lawyer could say them, but when Jesus says, go and do that, it's a pretty hard thing to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what I'm really aware of this week as I prepare this message and I stand up here and share it is nobody can stand up here and say those words, love your neighbor as yourself, without saying them as a hypocrite. There's a whole bunch of things I'm going to say today that, man, I can't live them. They're so beyond what I do. But the Holy Spirit in us can do something amazing. And that's what we're praying for as we aim for love your neighbors yourself. So my goal in this message would just be to present that phrase from Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, accurately. Like, in the full glory that God means for it. And if, if we get even close to that, I think we're going to be amazed at how lofty that standard is. And maybe we're going to be a bit convicted of how we've fallen short, but I hope that we turn and lean on God to live out that standard in our lives. So I'm looking at it thinking this is a big heavenly concept, and I know we need prayer to understand it appropriately. So join me as we pray. Father in heaven, this is a holy moment where we give our attention to your words. And I pray that they'd grip our hearts. Not a whole lot of people in this building, but I pray every one of them would feel your presence here. And I pray every location that's watching the live stream right now would have your spirit in their home, right where they are. That you could use this time to speak to us something, not from me, but from you, about how we could love our neighbor as ourselves. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm imagining like a small child trying to take the first bite of a large apple. You ever see him do that? How do you get your teeth into it? It's hard to take that first bite. And that's how I felt about this concept. Love your neighbors yourself. How do we get our minds around it? So here's what we're going to do to approach these few words. We're going to ask what and why and how much. And then look at the example in verses 33 through 35 of the Good Samaritan. And when we ask why, we're asking why should we accept love your neighbors yourself as the standard for neighboring well? So why is it important that I actually choose to aim for this? Because it's just a lawyer talking, you know. There's a lot of things the Bible says and these lawyers thought and laws they had. Why is this phrase important? And what we're going to see is it's a whole lot more than just fancy lawyer talk. This phrase appears in Scripture eight times, and it is pictured as an extremely, extremely important standard for us to aim for. So here's the eight times it appears in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. So one is right here in Luke 10, and then we'll go through each one of these. And I think as you go through them, I've arranged them in order that you'll see increasing importance in this phrase. This phrase is so significant, and I hope we can see that as we go through these. So in Luke 10, it's the lawyer speaking to Jesus, and he's responding to a question. Re remember Christ's question? Two questions. What does the law say? 
how do you read it? So he replies with what the law says. And he, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's claiming is that that response is the answer to how you would inherit eternal life. So it's a significant thing. If those things done perfectly would inherit eternal life, they're really powerful things. The place he's quoting from shows us that it is an Old Testament commandment. People had it in their minds as a command from God, love your neighbor as yourself. We see it in Matthew 19, 19. This is when Jesus approaches, or the rich young man approaches Jesus, and he asks the same question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? The conversation goes a little different. Jesus asks, talks, responds to him, and he says, keep the commandments. The man says, which ones? And when Jesus responds with which ones, he quotes the Ten Commandments. He quotes the last part of the Ten Commandments. So the first four are our love for God. The last six show our love for others. And Jesus quotes all of those commandments that have to do with love for others minus the covet one. So he says, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, don't um, steal, don't, don't uh, murder. So he quotes all these, and then he adds to them, love your neighbor as yourself. So in Jesus' own quoting of the commandments, he bundles the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, with the ten. So it's not just any command or any phrase. Jesus quotes it and puts it right there with the ten commandments. It's not like love your neighbor as yourself is just one of a whole bunch of proverbs that we just kind of gloss over and don't understand. Those are important things. This is even more important because Jesus is here saying this phrase right here, this is the essence of the Ten Commandments right here. And he shares that with the rich young ruler. And then Mark 12 and Matthew 22 share two different versions of the same story. This time, Jesus is approached and asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes beyond the question. And he gives the greatest and the second greatest. And he talks more about how everything else depends on those. So he says the greatest is just like the lawyer said, love the Lord your God. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 again. And then he quotes Leviticus 19 again. And I want to pause and realize what, what that story just told us. Jesus the greatest person to ever live tells us the greatest command ever given. So I would be very hesitant. If you came to me as the pastor, if I didn't have this verse in the Bible, if you came to me and said, what's the greatest thing God ever said? And I have all of scripture to go through. I would feel very inadequate to say, this is the greatest thing God ever said. But Jesus does it for us. He says, this is the greatest command ever given. In all of God's revelation, these, this thing is the greatest. And I'm going to go one step further. This thing is the second greatest. So that is a huge importance to this phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Mark 12, the same story in Mark, we get even more importance because Jesus continues in verse 40 and says, On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So I want you to imagine something hanging. It's 
So if you've ever rock climbed, there's different ways of doing it. One way of rock climbing is to put anchors in the rocks or the cracks or around things. You anchor onto the rock, and that anchor it needs to be strong because it holds your weight, right? And then you have a rope attached to a harness. So imagine you have anchors in the rock, and you swing out, and you miss the rock, and you're just hanging there by a rope. And it's, a, you know, it's 200 feet down to the ground. You're hanging there. And one anchor is on this rock, one anchor is on this rock, and this rock is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And this anchor is love your neighbor as yourself, and you're just hanging off of that thing. Jesus is saying everything hangs on these two things. Which means if they go, you go. The rope goes. Everything falls. And what does Jesus mean by everything? He says on these, the law and the prophets hang. So the Jewish organization of the Old Testament is law, prophets, and writings. So Jesus is not saying, hey, this is everything in the Old Testament minus the 24 books we call the writings. He's actually referring to, to all of God's revelation. We see that in about six other places in the New Testament where God's revelation in Scripture is referred to as the law and the prophets. When they found Jesus, the first disciples, they say, Come see a man, and he says, this, Is this the one that Moses wrote about and who also the prophets wrote about? So Moses would be law and the prophets. So is this the one that Moses wrote about and the prophets? And then when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, he says he reveals himself in Moses and the prophets. So he is highlighting who he is in all of their present scripture at the time, Moses and the prophets. So law and prophets would have been, in their mind, all of God's revelation to that point. So everything they knew of his scripture, anything God has ever given, and God had given a whole bunch of wisdom and truth. All the things we know in the Old Testament that have to do about marriage, or tithing, or Sabbath keeping, or how to have joy, live a successful life, all of that would have been in the Law and the Prophets. So now imagine yourself hanging on these two things. What that means is, if love goes, if the anchor is love God and love others, if love goes, then your hopes for a God-glorifying marriage fall. All your efforts for Sabbath-keeping fall. Every bit of ministry you do in this church or school at work, it falls. Because everything is hanging on love. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Now this phrase, love your neighbors yourself, is looking really important about now, isn't it? And then, not just does it hang on it, but there's two other verses, and this is what Paul adds, Romans 13 and Galatians 5, that show us the other side of this. So the anchor is love, and then the fulfillment is love. I'm going to read these two, because they're beautiful uh, paragraphs. So this is, Romans verse, chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, no, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, they're summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's our word. And then it says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's the word, fulfilling. We see the same idea in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 13 is where I'll begin reading. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So over in Mark 12, everything hung off of it. And in Romans and Galatians, everything is fulfilled in it. That means that love is the beginning and the end. It's the foundation and the fulfillment. It's the anchor that we hold on to, and it's the goal we pursue. I don't know if you can make this phrase any higher in importance. The only thing you can utter that's more significant is to love God with everything you have. Nothing else can beat it in significance. Love your neighbor as yourself is a pretty lofty, heaven-born standard. So we ask the question, uh, why? <laughs> why should we accept this as the standard? It's not because the lawyer said it. It's because the heart of Scripture, the spirit that inspired Scripture, wanted us to see this as the aim in life. Other than loving God with all your heart, there's nothing more important than love your neighbor as yourself. So that's why. Now we ask what? I want you to look at the phrase. It's in green on the screen. Go back to fourth grade or, third or fifth grade and remember your parts of speech. You've got nouns and verbs and direct objects. There's one verb in the sentence. What is it? Love. That's the action word in this phrase. What are we supposed to do to our neighbor? Love. When a phrase is familiar, it's easy to miss the words. Don't miss the words. Well, the main movement of my, of my action towards others, it all should be summarized in the word love. Isn't that word a bit intimate for neighbors? Like, if we're honest, we might struggle to have that feeling, that action, love, towards people in our own house. And Scripture calls us to love our neighbors. And if we look at society around us, if we let society fill in the verb, if it just says something your neighbor, and society around us gets to fill in the verb, we'd probably see words more like judge your neighbor. Ignore your neighbor. Compete with your neighbor. Resent your neighbor. Have a grudge against your neighbor. Wish you had all the things your neighbor has. That's pretty normal. That's how we interact with people on a very regular basis in society. But that's not the word the Bible uses. The Bible says, love your neighbor. Or it could be worse. And we see it on news headlines sad reality all around us, we could fill in the verb as oppress your neighbor, rage against your neighbor, kill your neighbor, hate them. And that's a common reality in our world. But that's not the verb the Bible gives. The Bible says love. 
Or we could go to the other side and be seen as very moral people. And we could say, hey, tolerate your neighbor. They're different than you, but you can tolerate them. We can coexist. And you know what? Compared to hate and oppress, tolerate sounds pretty virtuous. So we live in a world that actually celebrates a very low standard of tolerating each other. That's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible doesn't call us to toleration. It calls us to loving our neighbor. So I'm just going to put this in a graph. And you can see on one side would be actively bad. That's hating your neighbor, oppressing your neighbor. It's not a graph. It's a chart. But, so actively bad. And on the other side would be actively good. And when Jesus and Scripture calls to love our neighbor, it jumps over this toleration thing. It, doesn't, it goes from actively bad to passively bad to passively good. And it goes to the extreme of being actively good, loving our neighbor as ourself. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we see all those with that one column. We see robbers who beat the man, and they were actively bad. They were oppressing their neighbor. And then we see priests and Levites who weren't actively bad, but they're passively bad. They come along, and they just ignore their neighbor. They see him, and, and they, they push it aside. They didn't, they didn't hit him. They didn't steal from him, but they were bad. They were actively ba or passively bad. And then it jumps over this passively good, like tolerate, and it pushes us to the extreme of love. Go out of your way with hospitality in abundance and love your neighbor. So love your neighbor is not a passive command. It's not a command given from the negative. Like, if the Bible said, don't hate your neighbor, that would be a lot easier to, to say that I fulfilled than love your neighbor. Because don't hate would just mean I could actually just kind of never interact with them. I could just not hate them. I could identify the actions that would be hate and not do those. But it doesn't say don't hate. It says love. So occasionally in the car, my kids don't get along. So sometimes one of them will have have this terrible headache, right? And they want both their sisters to be silent because every noise hurts their head. And so it goes back and forth for a while and I don't say anything. And then I finally jump in and I say, okay, she has a bad headache, guys. Let's try really hard not to be irritating. Let's not make loud noises, right? And when I say, let's try not to be irritating, one of them will say, dad, I'm not trying to be irritating. But put your thinking caps on. There's a big difference between try not to and not trying to. Follow me? There's a big difference between try not to and not trying to. So not trying to means, well, yeah, I'm making terribly irritating noises, but it's not my intention that my high-pitched, high-volume screeches would hurt her headache. That's not my intention at all. I'm just doing them, and they happen to be hurting her headache. I'm not trying to be irritating. I'm just living life. She finds me irritating. That's her problem. That's not trying to. Trying not to would be, I'm going to put, put rules and actions around my behavior to govern it, to give my very best shot that she would not be hurt. So I'm going to try really hard not to irritate her. I'm going to be intentional, make an intentional effort to not irritate her. 
And that's what we're called to with love. It's not just don't hate them. It is be intentional and active about leading with love to that other person. It's a really high standard. So what are we supposed to do? Love. And then the question, how much should we love? And the qualifier in the phrase is, as yourself. That just went from really hard to supernatural. Like this cannot be done without the love of God in the heart. So love your neighbor is a high calling. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's really hard. See, I think the world would be a better place if everyone loved their neighbor as much as they loved their dog. Or your hot drink in the morning. Or your house. Or your car. Or your job. If we just loved our neighbor as much as we love the inanimate things in our life, <laughs> it'd probably be a better world. Imagine the world we would live in if we loved our neighbor as ourself. If it would be an improvement to love people as I love my dog, then if I love them as much as I love myself, it would be revolutionary in the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. It just got really, really hard. So Matthew 19, when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler actually believes he did it. He believed he loved his neighbor as himself because when Jesus says that, he says, all these I have kept since my youth. What more should I do? And Jesus very kindly says, you're wrong. <laughs> you are thinking way too low when you hear the words, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, if you would be perfect. In other words, he's saying, actually, you're not perfect. If you would be perfect, it would look something like selling all you have and giving it to the poor, then come follow me. He's saying the standard is actually a whole lot higher than you've imagined. Loving your neighbor as yourself. It has to be high enough that it can agree with another biblical standard. This is a command of Jesus. It says, this is my commandment. Couldn't get too much more clear, right? <laughs> what is Jesus' commandment? Love. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And now we have a different qualifier. It doesn't say as yourself. It says, as I have loved you. So whatever loving your neighbor as yourself means, it also agrees with loving your neighbor as much as Jesus has loved you. Because it's the same Jesus giving the same command, a different qualifier. He's saying, this is how much you love, as I have loved you. So loving your neighbor as yourself requires a degree of self-love. But don't worry, you love yourself. You're not disqualified from loving your neighbor as yourself because every one of us has plenty self-love. Now, I probably could improve in the way I love myself like God loves, and I could probably decrease the way I love myself like the world loves, but every one of us has self-love. So every one of us can imagine what it's like to love our neighbor as ourself. Even, and I'll go real dark for just a minute, even if you were in the very lowest place where you had no desire to live, and you're contemplating ending your life, you know what that is? Self-love. It is you being in tune with your feeling of depression and loneliness and doing the most gracious thing you can think of to do to yourself because you want to promote your own well-being. So even the darkest moment you can possibly imagine would be 
a very wrong view of self-love, but it would be an action of you trying to care for your own needs and your own wants. We are deeply rooted in love for self. And it's not all evil. God wants us to have love for ourselves. And that love comes about in us recognizing our needs and our wants, and they're very clear to us. We feel them, we desire them, and then we meet those needs. So when Jesus sees, when Jesus paints a picture of the final judgment, we're given this image of sheep and goats. And you know how Jesus tells the difference between those who inherit the kingdom and those who don't? It says in Matthew 25, it, it begins like this, I was hungry and you fed me. And then he goes on to say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Now why, why do you feed yourself? when you're hungry. You love yourself. You have a, a sensor in your body. Your stomach tells your brain, I'm hungry, and you don't like to be hungry. It doesn't feel good. So you feed yourself. So those who saw their neighbor in need and fed them were those who loved their neighbor just the same way we love ourselves. And that's the golden rule. It says in Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish others would do to you, you do also to them. And there it is again, the law and the prophets. So it's very simple to understand. Not simple to do. It's very simple in its understanding. If you want it done to you, if that's what you would like done to you, do it to others, and that is loving your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me, we get, a, we get an image of what it looks like. Loving your neighbor as yourself is, if your neighbor's hungry, you would feed them with the same eagerness that you would feed yourself. I was out with my kids for several hours in the snow, and I was wearing very thin pants. I got really cold. And then I went in and changed my pants and put an extra layer on and, and got warm because I love myself. I didn't want to shiver. And if I do that for myself, what love, loving your neighbors yourself would be to clothe your neighbor when they're exposed. Just as I long for companionship when I'm lonely, loving my neighbor as myself would long to be a companion to the person who's lonely. Just as I want affirmation and people to tell, tell me of my value and, and love me, loving my neighbors and myself would want that for others. How do I know that I want it for others? Because I want it for myself. And if I want it for myself, this rule is just love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. Whatever needs and wants are natural to you, Give those things to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how much do we love them? As ourself. Pretty simple rule, but it is profound and huge. It makes me feel a whole lot of need for the Holy Spirit. And then here's our example. Our example is loaded with verbs. So I've underlined some of them. These are the words, the actions of love that the Good Samaritan took. We're going to pause on each one. So, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him. So it begins with seeing our neighbor. And seeing isn't enough because the priest and Levi also saw the neighbor. It says in the story, they saw him and passed along on the other side. So we have to see our neighbors. That's a good start. But what do you do with what you see? This man took what he saw and he had compassion. Compassion is feeling with somebody else. So there's this supernatural thing that I want to have in me where I actually feel the needs of others. 
because I know to feed myself because my body tells me I'm hungry. I don't know when you're hungry. So how do I know when to feed you? Well, by the grace of God, he could grow in me compassion so that I actually feel what you feel. I come near you and I pick up on your needs and it kind of hurts me that you're hurting. So he comes near the man and he has compassion. He was willing to feel with the man. And I think that's the, the point. The priest and Levite went the other way from the Good Samaritan. They both saw the Samaritan was willing to feel something of what this man felt. I think that's a decision we have to make. Will I feel what they feel? And then it says he went to him. And that went to him shows that coming near him shows that he took on a great deal of personal risk. So this road, remember it's a made-up story, but it's true principles. Jesus is telling a story with real stuff to teach real principles. So he places the man on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a very physically demanding 18-mile hike that descends over 3,000 feet in elevation. So it would have been a long day, even if you didn't stop to help somebody. But then there was this pass. They call it the pass of blood because it was so known for robbery and ambush, this perfect spot to um, jump somebody. And it was 13 miles from Jerusalem, five miles from Jericho. So just far enough from town, you could get away with this sort of thing. And there's actually, uh, even though it's a made-up story, there's actually a lot of evidence that this kind of thing happened a lot right there. I think Jesus was probably thinking about the pass of blood. And Jerome, this 4th century church, uh, church leader, he believed this is where Jesus was, was thinking of. And he also lets us know that there's actually an inn very close to the pass of blood because it was so common that people would be robbed there that they brought this— they, Establish this inn as a place to care for those uh, beat-up people. So this man knows about this sort of thing, and he comes to a man who's dying, but he's not dead yet. You know what that tells him? The people who did this to this man aren't far off. If it had been a long time, the man would be dead already. But this man is just freshly wounded, so to go to the man, he knows that he's going to the very place that something really bad happened not very long ago, and it could happen again to him. So he's putting himself in a position of high risk. He went to the man. He bound his wounds and poured oil on it. And I love this picture of loving your neighbors yourself. Love works the reverse of hate. So hate wounded the man. Love begins exactly where he found him and reverses the work of hate, and now it binds the wounds. Hate took him off the road, and love's going to put him back on the road. Hate took him from a place of safety, and love's going to bring him back to a place of safety. So the work of God through us is to reverse the evil and hate all around us. Love your neighbors yourself works the opposite of the agenda of Satan in this world. So he puts oil on his wounds. He set him on his own donkey. He brought him to an end. He took care of him. These are all above and beyond actions of love. He could have bound his wounds and said, I think you can make it, buddy. I got to get there before sunset. But he actually goes the extra mile, takes the wounded man, and journeys with him. And then he goes even beyond that because when he comes to the, the innkeeper, he doesn't just say, here he is. I was a good man. I brought him to you. He says, here's some money. 
to take care of him. He gives him about two days' wages for a working man. And he gives that, so love gives. And then he says to him, take care of him. And I love this picture because this man, for whatever reason, couldn't stay there and take care of him. But he networked with his community. There are needs I can't meet. I'm not a mechanic. I could try, but I'd waste my time and hurt your, your engine, right? But I could network with my community to love my neighbor. I could look at my church and say, hey, I know this person has this gift and this person has this gift. I could, just like he does to the innkeeper, I could say, hey, could you take care of him because you got the gift for that. You're able to do this. And then he says, whatever you spend, I'll pay it. You know, that is a terrible business move. So he's talking to the man who runs the business. And the man benefits from everything he, he pays for this injured man. And he's saying, here's a blank check. Any service you want to provide, and you can load this guy up with medicine and all kinds of treatment, I'm going to pay for it. So he, he makes it, you know, we as a church will often put people up for a night in a hotel. We never say to the person behind the desk, whatever else they need, put it on our tab. We say, okay, here's the price. We'll commit to this, this night or two nights. And we leave it right there. But this man says, if anything else costs you anything, I don't care how much it is, I'm going to pay for that when I come back. And then he says, I'm going to come back. Not only does he promise to pay for it, he says, I'm going to return and check in. Now that is above and beyond. And you know what? That's loving your neighbors yourself. Because if I was on the side of the road, what would self want someone to do to me? I'd want someone to take care of my wounds. I'd want someone to set me on their donkey. I'd want someone to take me to the end. I'd love for someone to pay for my care. I'd love for someone to come back and check on me. Good Samaritan was loving his neighbor as he loves himself. So we've looked at why. It's a pretty high standard in Scripture. It's something God wants us to do. We looked at what? What are we supposed to do to our neighbor? Love him. And how much are we supposed to love? As ourself. And then we saw an example. And as we end, we've answered some questions, and I'm very aware those answers have just raised a thousand other questions. Like, how on earth do I do that? Or, how do I love someone as myself when they're intent on hurting me? How do I see the boundaries between uh, protecting myself and loving others? Or how do I love my neighbors myself when honestly I'm really struggling to just not hate them? Or how do I love my neighbors myself when there's a high chance I'm going to be used and I'm going to be hurt? Or how do I even do it even if I want to do it and I'm willing to give all this? I don't have it in me. What if I don't have that in me? And there's a whole bunch of murky situations where it's really hard to tell what love would do. You know that? It's like, what would love do in this situation? How do I reconcile tough love with love your neighbors yourself? Well, I don't have all the answers to that. But what I want to do is I want to root this message in last week's message. So last week's message gave a foundation of neighboring well begins with experiencing God's grace. Justice is related to our view of justification. So we got to go back to this. Remember, this is the second command. Love your neighbor as yourself comes after love God with all your heart. So what I'm going to 
pursue. And what I want to call you to do is, even though I do not know how to truly love my neighbors myself, and I have a thousand questions, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour myself into loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and trust that he's going to put in me a love for my neighbor that's supernatural, where I love them as myself. So here's what I want to do, is I want to live out the second command by living in the first command. I'm going to live out love your neighbors yourself by living in loving God with all my heart. And here's the difference between our relationship with God and others is I can't control if they love me back. I have no guarantee they're going to treat me right, but I have 100% assurance that God's always going to love me. He's always going to treat me right. So in this risky business of love your neighbor as yourself, we have an incredibly stable foundation that God loves us 100%. And he puts that love in us and calls us to love him back. So that love relationship with God is the foundation that can push me into this crazy way of living. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I want, I want to digest this one. I think it's so important. I want the Palmer Church to be a church that neighbors well. I want to be a person who neighbors well. And if we could catch a vision for how counterculturally awesome loving our neighbors ourselves is, Boy, we could make a difference in this world for Jesus, couldn't we? And I'm so glad you're watching online if you are, because I just really feel like these messages are important for us. How do we love our neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. So you might be feeling a bit of conviction. Maybe you're even feeling pretty small, like this is a huge thing. I don't know how to measure up to this thing. And if you're feeling down, I'm so glad that we've planned the service to end on a super high note. So we're going to end by celebrating heaven. One day, loving your neighbors as yourself will just be the atmosphere we live in. It'll just be the way it is. And we're going to be there. And one day, we're going to walk in to the new Jerusalem, and we're going to have eternal love as our reality. We're going to end the service with a, a song, Oh, When the Saints Go Marching In. And this is a song that should lift our spirits. It should give us joy, and it should remind us that as difficult as it might be here on this earth to love our neighbors ourselves. There's a day when love will be all we know. So let this song lift your heart to Jesus. Let this song give you hope that this calling he has given you should not produce guilt, but conviction that God is wanting you to live in love. So, oh, when the saints go marching in. I want to be in that number.